filmmaker Ken Burns, who has done so many wonderful documentaries and and uh, and, and documentary series that have become part of the American landscape. And in fact, I would suggest that a lot of people understand what they do about baseball, about the Civil War, about jazz, and about some other things because they got to watch a Ken Burns documentary. And now comes a new one that's coming out next month, uh, Muhammad Ali, mm. uh, which, uh, wow, you talk about a great subject. This is, a, I believe, a four-parter, mm-hmm. uh, and I cannot wait to hear the approach that Ken Burns took to this. And so we asked Ken to come back on the program, and here he is. Ken, mm-hmm. welcome back on the show. Hey, thanks, Mitch, for having me. It's great to hear your voice again. Nice to talk to you, too. So Muhammad Ali, man, I mean, he's he is the subject of some of the best writing that's been done in the sports world. And um, certainly, uh, anytime, he's just an arresting figure. What does, first of all, I do believe it's four parts, right? Is it four that you're yes, doing? Yes, four parts, eight hours. Eight hours. What would you say uh, is new in this to people who have already seen a lot about Muhammad Ali? Well, it's a great question. Uh, for me, who lived through it all, I watched the Rome Olympics. I watched the Listen fight with my dad in 64. You know, um, I've followed him every step of the way. I, I thought I knew everything there was, and every day was a humiliation of what I didn't know what we've been able over the last seven years to discover. Look, there are lots of really great documentaries about Muhammad Ali, really some fine examples of the craft of documentary filmmaking. And we weren't looking to replace them. You know, some of them focus on a particular fight, some of them a couple of fights, some of them a couple of years in which he's fighting the U.S. government. We were interested, as, as is my want, to do a comprehensive story from birth in Louisville Jim Crow segregated uh, Kentucky uh, to death by Parkinson's not that many years ago, five years ago in 2016, uh, focusing on a lot of different things. Muhammad Ali is the greatest athlete of the 20th century. I'm willing to sit down on any bar stool and have an argument that he's the greatest athlete, period, full stop. Mm -hmm. And his life intersected with all the major themes of the second half of the 20th century. So it's dealing, obviously, with sports. It's dealing with race, it's dealing with politics, it's dealing with war, it's dealing with faith and religion, family, uh, courage, all of these things. And strangely enough, it resonates precisely uh, with today because he represents, you know, one of the most um, amazing sports figures ever, but also one of the most amazing Americans. And what we discovered, what we dug deep was it isn't just this dichotomy between a divisive figure or a a love figure, somebody who's kind of on some pedestal. He's deeply flawed, and we're not um, apologizing for that, uh, explaining about that, but he's also a kind of prophet of love and and just a universal uh, figure. I mean, it's really good to die the most beloved person on your planet, and that's what Mm. he did. But he's also extraordinarily thoughtful. He's a great promoter, and we all know the poetry. We all know the braggadocio. We all know the, the, all the things that he did. But at really key moments in his life, at age 20 or 22, he comes out with just such extraordinary wisdom that you feel like his, his daughter Rashida at the end of the film sort of pinches her fingers together and says, boxing was only this much, meaning mm-hmm. he could have done something else. He didn't. It's the accident. Just as somebody 
could become a simple carpenter. But we know where simple carpenters go in our own world. And, and right. so there's something incredibly powerful when you begin to see, and we've found material that no one else has seen, mm-hmm. home movies that no one else has seen, not even the family has seen, uh, that I think will shed a light on an entirely uh, new and more complicated uh, person. There's lots of undertow in this story. Kenny, you, you, had, you had something you wanted yeah, to Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if you intentionally did this, Kim, because I watched this whole thing, and each part had a different rhythm to it. Like the first part was a 50s rhythm to it, and then you got to the last part, which was his post-Parkinson-type rhythm, a slower. It just, it, it, was like, it was like your jazz series. It, just, it had a rhythm to each, each part, and I just thought that was great. Oh, I'm so glad you saw that. You know, it, it, it's really important. People often add music to a film at the end. They score it, you know, and, and we bring our music in at the very beginning. We let the pace and rhythm of the music help determine our own editing pace. And it's very much part of what we'd like to do. And, and, and for the most part, it's invisible. It's this thing that lifts up. You know, I think all all other arts, when it dies and goes to heaven, wants to be music because music is, uh-huh. as Wynton Marsalis says, the art of the invisible. You know, it's the only art that you don't see. You just hear and two notes and all of a sudden it has you. So this music is reflective of the times. That is to say, it's playing a certain kind of rhythm in the 50s and the 60s and a different kind of rhythm in the late 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And as you say, a different kind of thing. But we also have you know, we have Philip Glass in there. We have our own composer, Dave Fieri, and Jaleel Beats. And you're sometimes hearing in the early fights some hip-hop there because it worked. And you always want to make people come alive and hear this. We also have a secret weapon, as you probably noticed, is that the former heavyweight champion, Michael Bent, is mm-hmm. in our film. And he is embedded in every one of the significant fights. And we probably do... We, sort of dissect about 22 fights in the course of it and he's there not just to communicate strategy and tactics for those who don't know about or don't maybe don't like boxing and to help you in he does he's talking about psychology too he's talking about wills he's talking about hearts he's talking about who wants it more and all of a sudden the dynamics even of familiar fights the boxing fans change and we've also got with us We've interviewed the people who are the young cub reporters coming up with Ali, coming up with Cassius Clay, and watch the transformation into Muhammad Ali, like Robert Lipsight, like Dave Kindred, like uh, Jerry Eisenberg. And they're all old men now, but they remember every single fight, and they they help to sort of set a scene. We talked to two of his uh, ex-wives. He was married four times. Two of his daughters. We have his brother. We have lots of friends from the neighborhood in, in Grand Avenue and in Louisville. We have, um, you know, Bob Arum and uh, Don King, promoters for him for many, many years. We've got the novelist Walter Mosley, an expert on Islam. The, the story of the nation of Islam is a really important uh, distinction in our film, and his faith is critical to understanding who he is and also his evolution. So there's lots of people. David Remnick, the editor of the New Yorker, who's written about the early fights of, of Cassius Clay, are, are really just helping us make him come alive, I think, in a way that I've never seen him come mm-hmm. alive. And we're very excited. It's not definitive. Someone will come along and do another film, but it's comprehensive, you know, from here born, are, you know, you, here are born some in the early clips. 40s. Here are some clips you want to play, uh, Ken, for the people. Uh, you talked about his faith here in Cut 3 is Muhammad Ali talking from 
the series, uh, Ken Burns, Muhammad Ali, on why he insisted on being called Ali. Why do you insist on being called Muhammad Ali now? now? That's the name given to me by my leading teacher, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. That's my right. original name. That's a black man named Cassius Clay was my slave name. I'm no longer a slave. What does it mean? Muhammad means worthy of all praises, and Ali means most high. Do you intend to fight under that name? Yes, sir. I want to be called by that name. I write autographs of that name. I want to be known all over the world as that name, especially throughout Asia and Africa, because that's the names of uh, our people over home. You know, it's, it's funny when I listen to Muhammad Ali speak as a as a, a former musician myself, and I'm sure you doing jazz. There's such a rhythm to the way that he speaks, such a yeah. rise to his voice, the up, the down. He didn't even realize he was doing it, but it's just, he, you know, so many athletes are just monotone. And yeah, he was, he, it, it doesn't matter what he said. It had, it was like listening no. to somebody sing. You know, and Mitch, there's some wonderful moments when he could have resorted to the hype, the guy who's, you know, promoting like that, that, that kind of rhythm, that kind of jazz riff that he's doing right now uh, in, in that clip is really important. You know, this is a guy who created a lot of division. First of all, he was a braggadocio and confident and I'm black and I'm beautiful and I'm proud. And then I'm going to whip this guy in this round. He's named, so he turns off people thinking that that's not the way an athlete should behave and certainly not the way a black athlete should behave in that mm. time, right? He doesn't know his play. And then he joins the Nation of Islam and he changes his name. So that's in even more marks against him. And then he refuses induction because of his faith into the United States Army in the midst of the Vietnam War. And then slowly he regains everybody, most everybody's confidence. And so there are moments where he's incredibly soft-spoken in which he's taking like a soft baritone solo. And after the Supreme Court votes in his favor on a technicality and he's no longer going to go to jail, um, somebody sticks a mic in his face and says, you know, like, what do you think about the system? And he goes, well, I don't know who's going to be assassinated tonight. I don't know who's going to suffer injustice or indignity. As if he, this, like, you know, still in his 20s kid, is, is suddenly thinking of all the 350 previous years of black history on this continent and all the injustices, including Emmett Till, who is his own age, who was brutally murdered and tortured and, and whose mutilated body had an open casket. His mother had the bravery to show it to the world. And he saw that profoundly affecting as a young teenager all mm. the way back to 1619 and also ahead to people none of us knew, like Rodney King and uh, – you know, Trayvon Martin and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And so all of a sudden, in this moment of victory where you'd expect Muhammad Ali to be bragging, he's saying, uh-uh, this is one thing that happened in my favor, but something's going to happen tonight. Somebody's going to do it. And it's just, you just shake your head and go, hmm. who is this guy? What did you, what did you um, find, if any, as someone who's, written plenty about Ali and got to cover fights. and I, I, I'm fascinated by the last years of his life. What was going yeah. on in his mind? He couldn't speak. He, he, you know, everything was a whisper. But even in some of those whispers, I've heard some, some wisdom. And I, I never know, you know, with Par Parkinson's is a, is a neurological thing. And, yeah. I, and I'm never quite sure if it affects your thought process as much as your communication no. way. No. So if his brain was still functioning in terms of observing everything, what was going on in Muhammad Ali's mind about so, the world in the years before he died? So, Mitch, he, that, that is such a smart question. So Michael J. Fox, 
the actor has Parkinson's as well. And I remember him saying something that really struck me about 20 years ago. He said, I couldn't be still until I couldn't be still. And Hmm. when you think about Muhammad Ali, you think about this musical voice, this loud poetry spewing, bragging, funny. I watch you. If you want to see Martin Luther King crack up, there's a, there's a scene when he comes to Louisville and, and Ali cracks him up and he's, laughing. I've never seen Martin Luther King laughing this way, and he shot him. But I think it applies here that he couldn't really speak until he couldn't speak. And then he became this kind of symbol of peace. As David Remnick, the editor of The New Yorker, said in the film, he said he's seen as this worldwide figure, almost like the Buddha, you know, who's somebody. So there's something about the irony and the tragedy of being encased in some of the aspects of Parkinson's disease, but it didn't slow him down and it made him a better person. He, the, 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 you know, just like the, you know, most of our lives are defined not by the good stuff, but by the struggles that we have. And so I think he's at his best when he loses to Frazier. He's at his best when he's afflicted with this disease. You know, at the end, it's sort of sorted. Everybody wants him to stop. His daughters are sobbing in the, dressing room after daddy please quit and he's addicted to contact to limelight to the to the spotlight and that sort of stuff and he's got you know um wallace uh, i mean uh herbert muhammad who is elijah muhammad's son who's been this kind of leech who's been you know taking a lot of his money and his finances he's also very generous and so uh, you know, at the end, I think he just felt he couldn't stop boxing, and he he went at it too long. But when he did, all of a sudden, he became an ambassador, which takes me all the way back to his training for the Liston fight. He's in the Fifth Street Gym in Miami. And who should come in but the Beatles? They're in, they've invaded the United States. And there's a faked photograph of him sort of punching John Lennon. It looks like all of the Beatles are going down like dominoes, right? And I'm thinking... Here in this room are five men, Cassius Clay, soon-to-be Muhammad Ali, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr, who understood as well as anybody else that, as Paul McCartney wrote, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And Muhammad Ali, for the flaws, for the difficulties, for the undertow, for the infidelity, for the treating Joe Frazier so badly, uh, for abandoning Malcolm X, uh, was somebody on a, a, a mission to communicate that love to other people. Mm-hmm. I met him once, and that's all it was. It was just I had never seen anybody but the sun turn on that animating of light. <laughs> <laughs> well, this comes out in September. Uh, will it be uh, seen on PBS as, as a tradition with your, your pieces? Yeah, yeah, it's a September 19th, 20th, 21st, and 22nd, four parts. They'll play each of the episodes twice that night. So you come in late, you'll get the second show, go to bed early, get the first show. But it's available for streaming on Sunday the 19th, and uh, and you can right. get it that way. And then DVDs will be out. Well, it will be, it will be marvelous. From what I've seen of it, it's fantastic. Wow. And before we let you go, I had asked uh, if we could book you, and I guess we couldn't find you or you were busy, whatever. But the piece that you did, the film on Hemingway, uh, as a writer myself, you know, one of the things you sort of accept as a writer is your work is on the page 
and you're yeah. never going to be a movie star and you're never going to be an athlete and you're ne- you're not people aren't going to tell your story the way they tell stories of athletes and soldiers and politicians and 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 heroes because you're writing and and it's an innately dull activity in terms of you know watching somebody sit and write and so how can you ever really turn it into but you did such an amazing job i encourage everybody out there if you haven't seen this piece it's uh six hours on ernest hemingway the way that you did that and and i even called jeff daniels who's a friend of ours here obviously we've known him for many years with michigan and said you brought the 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 narration because Jeff Daniels reads the stuff by Hemingway in, in your piece. Um, you brought him to life in such a way, uh, and Jeff wrote me back and said it was it was such an honor to be able to, to read Hemingway's work and try to figure out, you know, how you would say it out loud. And you just, you did it in that, of course, Hemingway was bigger than life anyhow, but for, for six hours, you turned a writer into a, an athlete, a singer, oh, a superstar, whatever, and I want to thank you on behalf of all writers. Not that any of us are going to get that treatment, but that it could be done. Just it the fact that done, it could well, be done. Know, thank you, Ken Burns. I, I really appreciate that, Mitch. And as an Ann Arbor boy, not far from where Jeff is, you know, he brought that to life. He was so good. He inhabited every word. He was just he was just terrific and yeah. uh, a perfect choice to be the voice of Hemingway. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a complicated story like the Ali story. Only, you know, Hemingway's ends alone in a solitary room with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Don't anybody try this at home. Right. And, um and Ali, though he, though tragically afflicted with this disease, died, as I said, the most beloved person on this planet. So two back-to-back biographies of two, in some ways, very similar leading figures, kind of celebrity, bold-faced names, and two very, very different trajectories. Fantastic mm-hmm. work. Ken Burns, it's always great to have you on the program. Thank you for spending it's some time with us. It's great to be with you, Mitch. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.